So a few years ago, there was a leadership book, a church leadership book that came out by Todd Bolsinger called Canoeing the Mountains. It was really popular amongst our, our conference, and I'm well aware that canoeing the mountains sounds kind of ironic, but the story followed the journey of Lewis and Clark as they were looking for passage to the West Coast. And they carried their canoes, and, and they believed once they reached the Continental Divide, they would find a waterway that they could canoe all the way to California. Now, if you're not geographically minded, imagine their shock when what they found instead was the Rocky Mountains. And then they realized that no matter how hard they paddled, they weren't going to make it they had to make a decision on what they would do. They could either give up or adapt. And Lewis and Clark did not allow the unfamiliar to overcome them, but instead adapted in order to achieve what it was that they were called to do. Now, in contrast, I recently came across a quote that says something along these lines of how we in our current culture act when we encounter the unexpected and the unknown. And it says, when a system doesn't know what to do, it does what it knows. When a system doesn't know what to do, it does what it knows. Or maybe you've heard it said this way, when we don't know what to do, we always fall to our default. And I think you can substitute the idea of a system for a person, church, a congregation. When we don't know what to do, when, when we're faced with uncertainty or a, or a fearful future or, or even, oh, that dreaded word of change, will we revert back to what we've always done, to what is comfortable, to what is familiar? Will we settle just for good enough or will we adapt, overcome, and strive for the calling that has been placed upon us? I think so frequently as we look at our current culture and our current climate, the reason that we go back to default is if you're like me, and I'm going to confess this, you're a little bit of a control freak. And you want to be able to control something when everything seems out of control and so you you try to do what you know you try to control what you can so how do we react I've given kind of the two sides of the spectrum and I just want you to search your own heart your own mind your own actions and answer that question honestly for yourself how do we react when we encounter unfamiliar times, when we encounter uncertainty, when we encounter mountains, when we thought it would be smooth sailing, do we revert to what we know? Or do we adapt and thrive? 
I love that Bolsinger named his book Canoeing the Mountains, A, because it's a bit ironic, but B, because it points to the mountains. And this morning's text, we hear about another story that took place in the mountains. Well, rather, on a mountain. As we look to Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, we hear these words. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwelling places, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice that said, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you've heard it said before, the scripture is full of mountaintop experiences. And this is another one, but, but as we look at the, the players in our scripture this morning, we, we see someone like Elijah, and if you recall his story, you go back to, to 1 Kings 19, and, and Elijah is running for his life from the authorities. And that's when we hear that there was, that there was fire and there was earthquakes, but God did not speak to him in those things, but in the silence. And God calls him back to task as he has grown fearful and fled. Or, or maybe you, you think about Moses. We know all the stories of Moses and the Ten Commandments, and we know about when the message, message was rejected by the Israelites, and he has to go back up the mountain again. All of this while the golden calf stuff is going on at the bottom of it to receive the message. And over and over in Scripture, we hear about these mountaintop experiences with Jesus, don't we? And I think this is a reminder, this text is a beautiful reminder that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are connected in time. It's a reminder that Jesus is not some isolated incident that happened back then or that will happen in the future. But what happens is that Jesus is part of the story of re the redemption of God's people. And here we find Peter and James and John having a mountaintop experience. They find themselves invited into the story of God's redemptive work. As God, as Christ reveals who he truly is to them. 
And I love this, how this story kind of unfolds because what you see is the disciples see this miraculous event. And then you got Peter there, and, and it says that they were greatly frightened. And can't you imagine? You're up there with three of your best friends, and all of a sudden, one of them just kind of starts to, to glow. And there's those, those saints from the past that appear with them, and you're like, oh, hey, y'all seeing this? What, what's going on here? And I love Peter's response. It's kind of like my response because it's like, uh, uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, uh, what do I do with my hands? I'm really uncomfortable in this situation, Jesus. And so what does Peter do? Peter reverts to what he knows. Peter, as a good Jewish man, Knows of the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years where you would set up tents to stay in. He knows of how even the Ark of the Covenant was held in a tent for a time with them. And so when Peter says, I think Peter gets a bad rap sometimes, when he says, let's set up tents, I don't think he's necessarily just saying, let's stay here forever. But I do believe that what he is doing is he's responding liturgically and worshipfully in the best way that he knows how. Out of the story that he knows best. And in today's text, as we hear it, we're invited to the mountain. As we encounter God's redemptive work as we hear of who Christ is. The question is, how will we live into the story? Will we do what we know? Or will we adapt? How will we continue the story of Christ's love, grace, and mercy? And God's will for God's people. How will we react? Now, I wish that this is where I really got to push the good news, but as I look at how the church so frequently, and I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the church universal has a tendency to react to that word of change. Sadly, we most times revert back to what we know. We say things like, we've never done it that way, or we've always done it that way. And, and what we revert back to is what our core values truly are. What we, what we, as I was preaching at 11th hour last week, what it is that we anchor our hope in, if you will. And sadly, what we know to work as a church is frequently defined by things like worldly markers of success and measurements and strategies. And we see them revolve around things that say, oh, as long as we can grow the size of our offering plates, sanctuaries, and congregation, then we must be doing well. 
In moments of crisis, in moments of uncertainty, in moments of the unknown, we draw from what we value the most. And if we're honest, our actions have reflected that we truly value the worldly idols of comfort, of the known, of pride and ego, of self-preservation. And I love the fact that as we go through this text, though, what we see unfolding is that as Peter doesn't know what to do, and he kind of starts murmuring, oh, well, I guess, I guess this is what we should do. And he starts talking before he listens. That all of a sudden we see a callback, essentially, to the baptism of Jesus, right? The cloud shows up. There's a voice that says, this is my son. But what does the voice say after, this is my son? Listen to him. The, the choir sang that they went high upon a mountain to pray. And I think our text reminds us of another part of prayer that we can so frequently forget. That prayer is a two-way street where we don't just talk to God, but we listen for God as well. And I think so often what happens when we encounter the uncertainty is that instead of taking a pause and going, I don't like this, but I'm going to pause in it and trust in God, we automatically shift gears. But our text today says, listen, take a moment. Take a breath and listen. Or maybe in our modern culture, it means turn off the TV, get off the internet, stop asking your friends for advice, and listen. Listen for where it is that God is calling you as an individual. Listen for where it is that God is calling us as St. Mark's. Listen for where it is that God is calling his church universal. And then in faith take the next step. But I think too often we wrestle with this, don't we? We, we wrestle with, with taking a moment to, to pause. We, we wrestle with silence. I, I've said this before, and I, and I firmly believe it because I know it's true for me. So if it's true for me, I like to believe that it's true for somebody else. That one of the reasons that we don't like silence is not because we don't like silence but it's because we're afraid of what God may actually say in that silence. And so if we can just fill our heads and our hearts with noise, we don't have to hear where God is challenging us to something new. We don't have to dare to be bigger and to overcome what it is that is in front of us. 
Which raises the question, have we become so set in our ways that we can't fathom that God could do something new even here and now? That we, that we don't believe that God is at work even as we get to that continental divide and see the Rocky Mountains. We've been carrying our canoes and God's going, hey, you may have to put that down. It's not going to work here. Or when we don't know what to do, do we just revert to what we do know? At least what we think we know. Because as the cloud comes and as we hear that utterance again, what we hear God saying is, maybe it's time for us to stop reverting backwards. And maybe it's not time yet for us to move forward where we think we should go, but maybe, just maybe, for this moment, we stop and listen. We stop doing, we stop filling our lives with noise, and we sit and listen. Listening not to the world, but to Christ. The one who calls us to love and grace and mercy and redemption. Listen, not trying to control the situation or proclaiming, I know what we should do, Jesus. Let me tell you what we should do. Sometimes I think that's how our prayer life works, isn't it? We go, God, I'm going to give you all my plans. I just need you to bless them. Just bless them. I know what needs to be done. I got it figured out. Instead of the other way around where we go, hey, God, how about you tell me your plans and I trust in you. Not trying to control the situation, not trying to build our own wants and desires, but as we've already prayed, proclaiming thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we seek to continue this story of God's redemptive work and God's creation, of God's redemptive grace and love and mercy. Too frequently, I think we have carried on this song and story of division and hate and vengeance and pride and ego and self-preservation over the story of love, grace, and mercy. Y'all know the quote, but maybe I just need to remind you, there's a reason Gandhi is quoted as saying, I love your Christ, but not so much on the Christians. Because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That should condemn us to our very core. That should cause us to ask the song, what, or ask the question rather, what story are you telling with your life? Or maybe, what song are you singing? I once heard a benediction given, and it said this. Christ came into the world singing love. Christ lived and ministered singing love. Christ died singing love. Christ rose 
in silence. If the song is to continue, it is but ours to sing. What song are you singing with your life? Are you proclaiming God's love, grace, and mercy to God's creation? I think so frequently we can get caught up in this and we look around the world and we say this phrase, they need Jesus. And I would go, yeah, they do. And you know whose job it is to give them Jesus? Yours. And we've lost sight of that somewhere. How are they supposed to know Jesus if we're not presenting God's love, grace, and mercy to them? So my challenge for us this morning is the same challenge that we hear in our text. It's a call to something greater than ourselves. To believe that even now, God's at work. To be transformed by the transfiguration. And that as we go, we go forth not seeking to build our own church, but to build the kingdom of God in the here and now. Not to build tents of our own comfort, but to build bridges for a way forward as we have to come down from the mountain and share the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, in our text, he tells the disciples, don't talk about this until I've been raised from the dead. Well, here's the good news for us disciples today. He's alive and well, so it is our story to tell. It is our call to go out and proclaim the good news that no matter what you're facing, God has overcome it because God has overcome the world and if that doesn't get you excited I don't know what else will if you don't believe that God can overcome whatever we are facing in the here and now then you have made your God too small and you need to take a moment to listen as we seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ as we seek to share his love, his grace, and his mercy with a world that so badly needs to see, hear, and feel his presence. As we seek to continue the story of God's redemptive grace. As we sing the song of God's glory, asking Christ to purify our hearts and our minds and our desires, that in all we say and do, that we may shine the light of Christ even amidst the darkness. Amen.